Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast of the Francis Asbury Society. This is episode six, and we're excited today to have the devotion led by Mrs. Cricket Albertson. Cricket is the director of Titus Women, a ministry of the Francis Asbury Society reaching out to women, and they are doing some phenomenal work. And I'll be sure to put the website in our show notes so that you can check out uh, all that Titus Women is up to. Cricket loves Jesus with her whole heart. And as soon as you, if you've never met her, as soon as you meet her, you figure that out very quickly. And Cricket is also a very gifted teacher, and you're going to be blessed by this devotion. So thanks again for checking checking us out. And here is Cricket Albertson. in the gospel of Luke. I've been kind of stuck in Luke for a while. I can't seem to, the more I read it, the more interested I am in the ins and outs. And one of the beautiful things about Luke is that, well, last year I was in the book of John and I just read it over and over and over. So the fun thing has been the difference between Luke and John. And uh, one of the things that's interesting to me about Luke is that there are all these really thin places in Luke, right? Where all of a sudden the eternal and the and, and the physical kind of, all of a sudden you've got angel appearances and you've got, you have this in, in Luke that you don't really have in John. So you have with Zechariah, you have with Mary, the baptism of Jesus, uh, the temptation of Jesus, the transfiguration and Gethsemane, all these places where heaven opens up and some someone from heaven speaks into earth. And so all of them are connected with prayer, except for Mary's encounter. There's some sort of prayer going around in all of those encounters. And so I'm, I'm learning, I'm praying, I'm praying about prayer. I'm trying to learn about prayer, what this is. And I was reading Joel Green's commentary and he said, prayer in Luke is this place of divine disclosure. That is the means by which God makes himself known, kind of the doorway so I thought, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so I've been trying to, I've been trying to just think my way through it, and I thought, well, okay, well, I want to talk about that in in our prayer meeting this morning. Then I was, then I was just kind of reading in Luke, trying to kind of pull my heart together, and I got stuck in chapter eight. Chapter eight is not about prayer directly. Chapter eight, you have the beginning of chapter eight is about the healing of the demoniac. Um, and then you have those two stories, Jairus and the woman with the flow of blood who's healed. And all of a sudden I thought, I, I was just mesmerized by these two stories. The interesting thing about these two stories is they're, they're in between two encounters with the demons. The demoniac is healed in chapter eight. At the beginning of chapter nine, Jesus sends out the disciples. And the first thing he gives them authority over is the demons. And so there's this sense of Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of the demoniac. Jesus is Lord over physical illness. Jesus is Lord over death. Jesus is Lord. And now he's sending his disciples out. So I was thinking about all this. And um, then I was thinking about these, these, this encounter. And I thought, well, I kind of want to talk about prayer. And uh, this was, then it was interesting to me because I felt like, I felt like you said, so the disciples, the people are coming to realize who this is. So in the book of Luke, Jesus is teaching them to pray to the father, but then you have all these divine encounters that become for us, um, they, people crying out to Jesus, right? People beginning to ask Jesus for help beginning to ask Jesus for instruction. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, that's so funny because all these encounters are forms of prayer. And because he is, he is the incarnate 
he is the incarnate one, right? That he is God himself. And so these encounters between people are for us examples of, of prayer. And I thought, okay, this is really a sweet way to think about it. So I want to read these two encounters. They're so familiar to us, but they spoke to me in, in a new way. This is Luke 8, 40 through 54. So it was when Jesus returned that the whole multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting from him for him. And behold, there was a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitude thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all of her money on um, physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said to her, who touched me? And they all denied it. And Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitude strong and press you. And you say, who touched me? And when they, um, and, but Jesus said, somebody touched me for I perceive power has gone out from me. Now, when the woman saw she could not hide, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well, go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered and said, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. And when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and the mother of the girl. And they all wept and mourned for her. And he said, do not weep. She is not dead. She is sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. And he put them outside, took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. And he commanded that they give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I want us to think about three things this morning. And the first one I want to think about is God's attentiveness. And um, if we're thinking about this in terms of a larger context of prayer, I think this is a, this this fits as well. God's attentiveness. Jesus had just come from healing of the demoniac. When he gets back, when he gets back, all of a sudden there are people all around him, and the first person that kind of breaks through the crowd is the ruler of the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus, and he has prestige, and he comes to Jesus. But look what he does. He falls down at his feet and he begs, right? So. Throughout this story, what you find is there is a vulnerability about people in these desperate situations saying, we need Jesus and we need to get to Jesus and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. And I love Jesus because there is a sense that all of a sudden this man becomes the most important man in the world, right? All of Jesus's attention is on this man and he's willing to go. There's a willingness. There's an availability to the need of the moment, right? I'm sure this wasn't in Jesus. Well, maybe it was in Jesus's plan, but maybe not on his schedule. And all of a sudden, Jesus is willing to go with this man. In the same way, on his way to Jairus's house, a woman sneaks up behind him and touches his robe. And he knows instantly that someone has touched him for healing. And uh, he turns around and uh, he gives her all his attention. So I'm sure that in, in Jairus's mind, there's a, there's a frustration, but not in Jesus's mind. In Jesus's mind, there is a, he is fully attentive to the need of the moment, fully attentive to the person who's coming to him. 
Now, this is interesting because in both stories, there's a crowd, there's a throng. And in, in, in both stories, they're the disciples. And it's interesting to me because none of those, none of those who are thronging Jesus are transformed by him in these two encounters. And it was an interesting thought to me and kind of a sobering thought. You can be with Jesus and not be transformed by him. What was interesting to me especially was this sense of um, the disciples, because the disciples were kind of herding Jesus along, right? Like they were kind of his bodyguards. Now, I took care of Papa and was his assistant for like 20 years, 19 years. So there was a sense I would get into sometimes these situations, and it was my job to help him get to his next engagement. Or people were coming to my house and it was my job to kind of help usher them in, give them coffee and then usher them out when the time was appropriate, right? So that was kind of my job. You know, you kind of get, get the person where they need to go. And so that's what the disciples are doing here, right? But they are not transformed by the presence of Jesus or the power of Jesus in this moment. And in fact, when someone comes and reaches out in faith to be transformed, they're surprised. They're like, what is going on? There are people everywhere. In the same way with the crowds going up, pressing all around Jairus's house, right? None of them transformed by the power of Jesus. And sometimes I'm wondering if in all of our talk about Jesus and do I, am I trying to make him known and get him where he needs to go and make him available to other people, but in my own soul, in my own heart, in my own life, am I reaching out to him in faith and saying, I need you. And is there a faith that comes, um, we can sometimes in professional ministry, right? We can spend so much time getting Jesus where he needs to be to all the people that maybe we begin to miss his presence. And the thing about Jairus and the woman, they did not miss his presence. And he made himself 100% available to them. And I, I love that. Because the power that's going to come into our lives from the presence of Jesus is if Jesus makes himself available to us, in us, through us. There's nothing in us, right? Not, no knowledge, no experience, nothing in us that's, gonna, that's going to take Jesus to anyone else. It's only his living presence in us. So the attentiveness of God kind of has blown me away. And I thought, okay. And then the touch of God, right? The woman, the woman reaches out. She initiates. She says, I think he could heal me. And so I'm going to get as close as I can. And then I'm going to reach out my hand. And then Jesus initiates with the, the, um, the little girl. He reaches out his hand and touches her. And I think there's this interesting play on the touch of Jesus, touching Jesus and then being touched by Jesus. Um, I think what, I think one thing he wants to say is, is there a willingness in my heart to reach out? Is there willingness in my heart to say, whatever it takes for me to be in your presence, whatever it takes for the touch of God in my life. I love that Jairus comes on behalf of another. Don't you love that? That is what Papa, all he taught about prayer was on behalf of another. I bear the burden on behalf of another. Um, and that's what prayer is. And that's what Jairus is doing. He's coming to Jesus on behalf of another. And then Jesus steps into the situation and touches. And that's what I have so many in my life that I'm praying for. I bear them to Jesus. And then Jesus steps into their lives and, and touches them. So God's, God's attentiveness to all of that and his responsiveness, his, initi his initiative in all of it, I, I love. 
And then I love this idea of God's timing. God is in charge and he's in charge of all of time. And so Jairus comes with this urgency, come now, she's dying, we don't have time. And, and God, be, Jesus begins to walk with him on the way. And then all of a sudden there's this interruption by a woman who is unnamed, um, unclean, really, I'm sure in every way um, for Jairus, this moment was excruciatingly painful. My daughter is dying. But what I love about him is in the record of the story, at least, we have no sense of him pulling on Jesus's plea. We have no record of him saying, I'll meet you at my house. No record of him saying, come on, Jesus, we got to go. We got to go. We'll come back to her later. My daughter is dying. As far as we know, Jairus just waits. He just waits. And what does God do? Jesus gives all his attention to the woman. Not only does he give all his attention to her, he waits on her to come up and tell her story. And so there is a, when we come to Jesus with that sense of, I need you to do something fresh in me. I need you to touch me. There has to be that sense that we come with vulnerability and we come with a willingness to wait on him, wait on his timing with this belief that all of time is under his control. And so if I'm waiting on him while he is with someone else, or if I am waiting on him till he wants to move in my situation, I can trust him that in the end, it will be better in my own story if I wait on him. I think we get impatient sometimes and we're pulling at his sleeve, or at least I am. You may not be, um, but I am pulling at his sleeve saying, come on, God, do something now. And uh, there's not that sense at, in Jairus. There's a sense of, I will wait on Jesus. I will not leave Jesus until he's finished with this woman. And uh, there's a sense when Jesus is at work in the lives of people, time stands still and takes on kind of an eternal cast. And what God's doing in one sloshes over to another. And you know, by the time he had finished healing, the woman was healed and she had given her witness. You know that Jairus was like, oh, well, I'm really glad I came to Jesus because I just watched him heal this lady. And um and then I love, he gets the horrible news that it's too late. And then God says, no, it's never too late. It's never too late when I'm in the middle of this story. And um, so I, I love God's timing. And I think his question to us is, are we willing to wait? Are we willing to wait on his timing? And then I love my third, my third thing that and the last thing I want to say is I love God's witness to his own work, right? So what does he have the woman do? So the woman comes up, she sneaks up behind him. She doesn't want any attention. She touches his robe and then she knows she's healed. Instantly, she knows she's healed. And she waits in the back of the crowd while the disciples do their thing. And then Jesus says, no, I am not leaving until I see her face. And she comes up to him and she comes trembling. She falls at his feet and she declares to him, and Luke is very clear. The other ones aren't as clear about this, but Luke is very clear. She declares to him in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. So she comes up, she tells her story and she gives her witness, right? This is, this was my need and, and this is what Jesus has done for me. And I love it so much because then what does Jesus say to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well, go in peace. And I bet for the rest of her life, she repeated those daughter, 
cheer, your faith, go in peace. There's, sense, there's a sense of um, God has stepped into her story and redeemed it and made her whole. And um, her life is transformed because of the touch of Jesus. And this sense of him not willing to let her leave until she's given her witness, until she's seen him face to face. You know that that became the pivotal moment in her life story and probably in the life story of her children and her grandchildren, this sense that I met Jesus and he waited for me. He waited for me until I, until I looked into his eyes and told him my story and gave my witness to his healing. And then I think the funny thing is with Jairus, after he heals the little girl, he touches her, he raises her up. And then he says, don't tell anybody. But I always kind of think this is a little humorous a little humorous because they go into the room with the dead child, right? And then the child walks out of the room and it's Jesus and the parents and the disciples. And I'm pretty sure everyone knew it was not the disciples, right? So no one was supposed to tell. And yet there was the living girl. And I thought life witnesses to itself, right? When Jesus comes in and touches a human life, the witness is given the witness is given without words. There's a witness. And I love it because she's hungry, right? And I, I think there's this sense when Jesus touches us and brings his new life into any, into any life, there's a sense of, there's a sense of hunger. There's a sense of, um, there's a sense of hunger. There's a sense of new life. And then there's a sense of shalom. There's a sense of peace. And the witness to God's own work in our life kind of just comes naturally. It's not something that, um, it just comes naturally because where Jesus is, there is life. Where Jesus is, there is healing. There is hope. There is peace. And I think sometimes um, we get afraid. Oh no, how am I going to give my witness? How are we going to? And he says, no, if I enter into a situation, then that whole circumstances will be transformed by my presence. Even, even if you're not able to say a word. So I think the way that he's been speaking this to my own heart are, am I at a place, and even as we head into the holiday season, that I need to reach out and say, Jesus, would you touch my heart again? And would you let me live so aware of my need for you that it never becomes professional and never just becomes something that I do always a sense of the living need of Jesus in my life, the sense of the living presence, that it is his presence um, that makes me whole. Sometimes we need a fresh touch. Are we trying to live on the old faith, right? Or both Jairus and the woman said, I believe, therefore I will act. I will do something. I will go to Jesus on behalf of another. I will go to Jesus on behalf of myself. Sometimes we believe in our minds and we get so weary of acting. And I think maybe this holiday season, he's saying to me, crickets, you believe? So what are you willing to do about it? So I'm asking him, what, what, what does he want me to do? Am I willing to wait? Am I willing to stand with Jesus and say, without, without insecurity, without trepidation, I will stand and wait with you until you're ready to move? And then what's bearing witness in my life? Is there a sense of his living presence that's bearing witness in my life? Am I telling my story and telling of his work in my life? And am, am I also letting the life itself shine out of me? So those are my questions as I, as I, um, as I wrestled through this. Um, let me pray for us as we continue. 
Jesus, we thank you that when you come, life comes. And into this world, Jesus, that was filled with evil, you came with your life-giving presence, your peace, your healing, your hope. And Jesus, thank you that you are as attentive and open and willing to meet us um, and to meet the needs of the world as you have ever been. Thank you, Jesus, that your timing is perfect and we can trust you. And not only can we trust you, we can wait on you, we can join you. And thank you, Jesus, that your work in our lives and in the lives of those who you're touching speaks for itself. And there's a joy in that and a beauty in that. So we ask that this holiday season, that would be our reality. Your life in us as we engage with family and friends and neighbors. I pray, Jesus, that this the living presence of Christ would be so real in our lives that it, the witness would be given. It would be given clearly and lovingly and um, and powerfully through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this chance to meet together and, and lift our prayer concerns to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, thanks again for stopping by. I do hope that you were encouraged and blessed by Cricket's devotion. I invite you to check out their website, which I've put in our show notes there. Whether you're a man or a woman, you will be blessed and encouraged by the different resources that Titus offers. I do want to make mention specifically for women that in April, Titus is hosting a discipleship summit in Ohio, and all that information can be found on their website. And if you have not uh, gotten plugged into one of those before, I would encourage you to do some research, check it out, see if it works with your schedule, and uh, join them in Ohio if you're able to. Those are great, encouraging times for the women to gather together. Well, again, we're just grateful that you stopped by. We ask if you're able to subscribe, to share this podcast with others who would be blessed by them. And we look forward to spending more time with you next week. Take care. God bless.